Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. From the blackest corners of your mind, they call, pulling you deep into shadow, twisting your senses, keeping you from sleep. It's time to face your darkest fears. This is Tales to Terrify. Good evening, children of the night, and welcome. It's been a busy summer in these parts, and I honestly can't believe that July is over. Why does the summer always fly by so fast? Maybe it has something to do with the fact that my part of the world, anyway, feels like it's cold for two-thirds of the year, with a brief mosquito-filled respite in July and August. Must be why so much Canadian horror seems to be filled with ice and desolation. I did spend a good chunk of July traveling, though, both for work and family. And thankfully, I did actually manage to get in some reading time. As much as I know I promised I'd make it through House of Leaves this summer, fingers crossed it's still possible, I have to confess I got a little sidetracked. A good kind of sidetracked, though. 
I'd forgotten that I pre-ordered a short horror fiction anthology that just so happened to arrive a little while before I hit the road. It's an anthology of medieval horror titled Howls from the Dark Ages. Edited by Christopher Buellman, it's got dark gothic tales from quite a few names we've heard from on Tales to Terrify over the past few years, including some fan favorites like Haley Piper, Patrick Barb, Brian Evanson, and Christopher O'Halloran. I'm about halfway through, and I can wholeheartedly say, I think you'll love it, Children of the Night. I managed to get my claws on the limited edition hardcover, which looks pretty badass, before it sold out. But you can still get your copy of the paperback or ebook from Amazon. I'll put a link in the show notes. So, with that surprise to kickstart my summer holidays, you can imagine my excitement when I arrived home to another my copy of an illustrated work of Dark Terror, the inaugural issue of our good friend Dennis Robinson's new graphic novel, Lycan, Solomon's Odyssey. It turned out beautifully, and I already can't wait for the second issue. You can get your fingers on the first one in digital, hardcover, and softcover now over at HiveheadStudios.com. And, just in time, the Kickstarter teaser page is now up for Chapter 2, which you can also find through Hivehead. The Kickstarter will officially launch September 1st, but you can sign up for updates and to be notified when it launches. Links to all of that, of course, are in the show notes. And, of course, the door to our own submissions for Dark Tales is creaking open almost as we speak. Submissions for our Haunted House Tales open on August 1st, with general submissions opening a few weeks later. So keep those horrors of haunted abodes you've got trapped in the closet locked up for just a couple more days. Then visit talestoterrify.com slash submissions to uncover all the ritual details you need to unleash them out into the world and into our submissions pile. Keep an eye on our Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. I'll let you know exactly when submissions open there and give you the heads up when you can send them our way. We can't wait. Lastly this week, a massive thank you to our newest patron, Dread Bull. It's not just your support of the show through our Patreon that brings a tear to our hollow eye sockets, but your kind words, too. I'm so glad that you enjoy what we do and that we can worm our way into your cold heart, or at least your ears. If you'd like to join our Patreon and count yourself among the inner circle of Children of the Night, you can do just that over at patreon.com slash tales to terrify plus you'll enjoy some nice perks while you're at it now let's see what chills we have lurking in the halls for you this evening our first story tonight comes from christy nogle christy nogle is a member of the horror writers association 
and Codex Writers Group. She teaches college composition and lives in Boise, Idaho, with her partner Jim and their dogs and cats. You can read her most recent and upcoming stories at Vastarian, Synth, an anthology of dark science fiction, and Flame Tree Publishing's American Gothic Anthology. You can also read more of her work at christynogle.com or follow her on Twitter at christynogle. Children of the Night, join me for Christy Nogle's Threads Like Wire, Like Vine, first published in Handmade Horror Stories, 2021. I'm in the thrift store with my friend Tina when I see it. Just a flash of rainbow color hanging between two black swimsuits. Already feeling protective of the thing, I tuck it between the jeans I'm getting, but Tina sees. What's that? she says, and I pull the jeans against my chest too late. She pulls out the thing. Oh, this is nasty, she says, unfolding it and working out how to hold it up the right way. It's not a swimsuit, or probably not, more like a see-through teddy, crocheted out of what looks like multicolored embroidery floss. But it's super stretchy. She's stretching it now. Oh, God, the crotch is all bunched up. I don't think this has been washed, Tina says, and it does look a little yellowed and grimy, on the back at least. Still, I'm getting it. I could pretend to put it aside and come back for it when she's not looking, but I'm not going to do that. I'm just placing it on top of my stack, going through the checkout, getting into Tina's truck. The ride is awkward. She doesn't try to talk. I'm thinking of how, once we're back at my apartment, I'll soak the thing in woolite, rinse it, press it flat between two towels. I'll hang it, let it dry thoroughly so I don't damage it when I put it on. That might take a full day. I tell myself I'll have this patience. But when the time comes, I don't have any patience. I can wait for Tina to stop the truck and say goodbye, but that's all the time I can wait. I rush across the lawn and up the stairs, unlock my door, drop my bags. I'm already unbuckling my jeans when I close the door, ready to pull off my T-shirt. I leave my panties on and slither into the thing. It feels loose around me that first second, but as I'm walking back to the bedroom, it pulls tight so that by the time I look in the floor-length mirror, it's a second skin. 
It's tighter than second skin and pulsing now. I sit on the edge of the bed and watch it move. There are layers of it, three or four, moving subtly in different directions, massaging me. The layers are all crocheted out of that rainbow thread, the kind that shifts through all the colors from blue to red to yellow. Only no, they aren't. I pull at the threads and see that the inner layer is all the shades of purple and blue. The middle one, green and aqua. The next layer, yellow to orange to red. And only the top layer is all of the colors. All the layers are moving east to west and west to east and so on. Nothing like this has ever happened to me, but it doesn't feel wrong. It feels like I've gotten something back that I ought to have had all along. I wish the thing covered more of me. It's high in the front, but low cut in the back. And there isn't anything much on the sides. I keep thinking of going to the kitchen and using the shears to cut off the sides of my underwear, slipping them off. But I can't quite bring myself to get up. There's a warm feeling here on the bed. I keep pulling the threads away from my belly to study the layers. They're knotted into complex patterns like flowers, like sun rays, or mandalas becoming smaller and larger as the threads shift. I try to work out the patterns, but it's too confusing. It makes me think of the terrible concentration it took for me just to make knot after knot for the stripes on a stupid friendship bracelet back when I was a kid. I lie back and find myself thinking of another thrift store that Tina and I go to sometimes, the one that's closest to my apartment. The smell of leather and sweat, the tiny, slutty clothes they have there. I think of myself picking up a pair of blue cowboy boots, checking the price again. They haven't been marked down. I hear the music, but can't place it, can't name it. When I roll over onto my belly, the butt of the thing pulls down as far as it can. It wants to cover more of me, too. We want the same thing. My eyes focus on the blue boots and then refocus on something beyond them there in the back of the thrift store under a stack of black and white leggings, a flash of rainbow. I'm standing in the thrift store in the jeans and T-shirt I had on earlier but I have the bodysuit on under everything, and it's moving deeper now. Feels like it's cutting its lines and whorls into me. Slowly, as I lift up the stack of leggings, as I retrieve the rainbow-colored thing and take it to the cash register and pay, the bodysuit loosens. Just a strange daydream, after all. I am still lying on the bed, but it's later. It's dark out. Only the pink and yellow salt lamps light the room. I can't see all the colors of the bodysuit now, just shades of gold and rose. But as I relax, the daydream rolls on. 
I'm walking home with the new thing in the bag. I haven't unfolded it. I'm hoping to make it home, but I can't wait that long. I move into a coffee shop, order, and head for the restroom. I unfold the item finally, and it is what I hoped for. A pair of high-waisted cigarette pants made of the same layers of crocheted thread. I kick my jeans to the back of the stall and slip into them. I lay my cheek against the cool, stainless steel door. The new pants sag at first, but the threads come awake. They crawl and pull. This is the first time my legs have had this sensation, and now, from my bikini line all the way up to my ribs, I'm compressed in the four layers of the bodysuit, as well as the four new layers of the pants. All eight layers move in eight different directions, pressing in. I sigh. I come back to myself on the bed. It's still dark, but there are sounds outside like morning. The thing I'm wearing is soaked with oily sweat. The whole room smells like sweat, mine and someone else's. Or other people's? The phone lights up green and there is a text about work, a notice about missed calls. I turn the phone on its face. I take a deep breath, soaking in the smell before it fades, before I become too accustomed to it to notice. I take that deep breath, and I am in another shop, one I don't recognize. I have on the bodysuit and the pants, and nothing else but spike-heeled shoes. I catch my reflection in a mirror, and I look different. Dangerous, older, with wild, unwashed hair. This store is small and upscale, stuffy. Nowhere I would normally go, and the cashier is eyeing me hard. I search the shirts and sweaters, pacing nervously. I search the coats, and then I see it. A blaze of color close by in the formal wear section. A cropped blazer with angular shoulders. This time I don't wait at all. I slide into it, button the strange little pearl buttons. I make a sound of pleasure right there in the middle of the store. My arms are feeling the layers for the first time. My core is alive under twelve layers of the threads, head all dizzy in a haze of sweat. I slip my hands into the high pockets. My hands are tingling, feeling the threads surround them for the first time. And in the right pocket is something cool and sharp. I can't wait. There's a nasty look on the cashier's face as I check out. I am lying on my bed, drenched and spent, alone in the building dread. It's dark, but it has been light and someone is pounding at my apartment door. Tina. I'm on the inside of the door now, saying something to make her go away, promising something, 
I'm crouched down on my side of the door, begging her to please go now. Out on the shade-dappled street, I draw stairs. I feel taller, more upright. The layers are bracing me, the legs of the pants moving me down a side street. I feel the breeze hit my sweaty back, where there are only the four layers of jacket and nothing else. I'm walking with my own legs most of the time, but when it wants me to turn, it turns me by pushing into the opposite hip. This is how you turn a horse. We snake our way along city streets to a section a lot like where I live, the apartments cut up from battered Victorian houses. We slow, passing a blue apartment house and a maroon one. At the base of a green one, we slow again. It isn't the green one. It's the one behind that. The White House isn't noticeable from the street, but I'm taking a shortcut, I guess, through a dry stretch of lawn bordered by lilac bushes. The blossoms are all still in tight little pearls, but their scent is overpowering, full-blown lilac. I stop to wonder at this, but the backs of the pants press me forward. We move over a greener lawn and around a corner. This feels too real in some ways and unreal in others. I catch a glimpse of white-capped mountain and white sky between two houses, and there are rose petals and cigarette butts and broken glass on the ground. There are fall leaves on the ground, summer insects in the air. My shoes cut into my heels. I feel afraid now, and I try to wake myself back into my bedroom, but I can't. I'm climbing a rust-colored staircase, moving in a winding hallway that smells of mold and mice. I am before an unclean, white-painted door, and the shushing sound rushes in my ears. I hold the key before the lock. I come back to my bedroom with the phone in my hands. I'm crying, trying to call Tina but I can't see the screen. It's blurred. The smell of sweat and scalp and lilac floods my bedroom. There is a green circle on the screen, and I am trying to press it, but I am pulled back, pulled back into the doorway. The key is in the lock, and I'm turning it. I'm on my bedroom floor, on my knees, trying to pull the bodysuit off. It is bound to me, grown into me like ivy vines into the side of a house. I rip at it, see for a second the channels cut into the soft skin at my hip. I tear a hole, and the severed tendrils weave back into place. I pull, and the whole of it presses back hard, and I swoon. I am in a front room, all gray. The windows have thick gold drapes. 
The stained glass lamps are off, but they glint in the semi-dark. I smell cat. I am in the bright, cold bedroom, which has nothing over its slim window. In an oval stand mirror, like my own, I see myself for the first time fully dressed, and I am beautiful. Older, yet harder, hardened. We are beautiful, the threads and I, but I am not quite fully dressed after all. There are many places that have just four or eight layers. Skin shows through. And the feet, hands, throat, face, all of them are entirely bare. I turn. Behind the bed, a wrought iron staircase spirals up to a strange little loft, and I climb. In my bed, I lie still. I feel the smooth, rough cold of the painted iron on my palm. In the loft, a chair and a knitting bag. Crochet needles. A red and yellow eyebrow window. A ghost woman sits in the chair for a quarter second, no more. And then the chair looks inviting. Seated, I take up the needles, one in each fist. I have never used these before, but it doesn't matter. I lean to look in the bag, and it is sitting there, a hefty spool of thread, its end already rising up to meet my needles. That was Christy Nogle's Threads Like Wire, Like Vine, as read by Maureen McLean. Maureen McLean is an Austin musician plucking the bass with acoustic bands, the Therapy Sisters, and a proper cup of coffee. She earns her keep in the courtroom, interpreting real-life terrifying tales from Spanish to English. Thank you, Maureen. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Our second tale tonight comes from Tasia Morgan. Tasia Morgan is a Canadian horror and crime author with a fondness for exploring abandoned places and writing dark, twisted fiction. She's a professional editor by day and writer by night. She has previously been published in Prairie Soul Press's short story anthology Prairie Gothic 2020 and was a finalist in the In Places Between Robin Harrington Memorial Short Story Contest in 2019. She's been obsessively in love with the horror genre since childhood, and she turned out fine. Listen with me, children of the night, to Tasia Morgan's Eat Your Rage, a Tales to Terrify original. Some thoughts have a bite to them. They can snap you up in their jaws and refuse to let go until you see them through, play them out in real time. I can shake them off usually, but every once in a while one sinks its teeth in and hits bone. The boys are carving pumpkins in the dining room almost faster than I can gut the things. I got a bushel from the grocery store. Do they call it a bushel? Anyway, it's enough pumpkins to last them. Cindy used to only get one for each of us. But this year I figured why not buy them out? It's our last Halloween after all. Their chatter carries in waves until it reaches Paul and I in the kitchen. I sink my fingers into the gooey pumpkin and pull handfuls of guts out, slapping them into a bowl. Orange splatters the countertop of the island. White granite. The countertops cost ten grand when we renovated three years ago. Installed it myself, the whole kitchen, every tile, and strip, laid with my own hands. Cindy isn't around to enjoy it anymore. 
What a waste. What a goddamn waste. I stabbed the knife into a new pumpkin. An easy, unsatisfying glide. No resistance at all. My neighbour, Paul, swigs from a glass beer bottle across from me, perched on a bar stool. I wonder what the next owners of this house will think of the kitchen. If they'll notice the details, the work that went into it. More likely, they'll rip it back up, redo it. We all like things our own way, don't we? Bev said you had another appointment this week. When I glance up, Paul isn't looking at me. He scrapes his fingernail over the soggy bottle label, peeling it downward. I slop another handful of pumpkin into the bowl. Yeah, thanks for letting Zane come over. Sure, sure, any time, man. A beat. The doc, he have any news? It's my turn to look away now. Nothing good. Inoperable, I say. Paul tugs at the collar of his hockey jersey, scratches his chest. Sorry, man. Yeah, he scratches again, like there are ants crawling down the front of him. I'm not sure what would itch more. The incision scar there, that's now mostly healed, or well, the tattoo Paul got over it, the zipper where they cracked him open to operate. Paul likes to pull his shirts up and show it off with a loud chortle saying, easier access next time. I rinse my hands in the sink, then clean the long, sharp boning knife I used to cut the pumpkin tops off. I feel the image of the knife folding itself into my thoughts asserting itself as a missing piece of the puzzle. The only way to know something's done right is to do it yourself, my mind whispers. What are you going to do? Paul asks. I jerk away from the sink. The knife clatters into the basin, and I want to say, Die, Paul, I'm going to fucking die. I want to laugh, too, at the absurdity of it all, at his stupid, drawn expression. So goddamn sad, isn't it just so goddamn sad? But I don't. It's not his fault. I know what he's really saying. My sister down south says she'll take Zane. Paperwork's already written up. Good, good. Paul nods, spins the beer bottle between his hands. Sean's going to be crushed. His glance strays towards the glass dining room door, where our sons are laughing and carving together. Zane will be crushed too. Crushed on every level. Life right. It's better he learns now how cold the world is, before he gets his hopes up. But the conversation's too heavy. Paul and I both sense it, because his words are, So you watched the game last night? And we drop it, leave it behind. My eyes, though, they linger on that knife and a thought that won't let go of me. I can hear the grind of its teeth against the inside of my skull. Just another DIY project, right? The house is quiet tonight. Zane is staying over at Sean's to give me a break, Bev said. Any time, Paul said, but the silence here grates on me. The emptiness leaves too much space in my head a yawning cavern with only my thoughts to fill it. The boys' grinning jack-o'-lanterns are lined up on every surface in the kitchen, waiting to be unleashed tomorrow night. 
don't like the way they look at me now, like they doubt my follow-through. I lay out supplies on the kitchen island. I don't remember collecting them, but it's just stuff we had around the house, odds and ends. A bottle of scotch, the good stuff. I've been saving this one, waiting for a celebration to bring it out. What a waste to have waited for. I chuckle, crack it open, and forego a glass. A handheld mirror, another thing Cindy left behind, along with this house, her son, our marriage. A suture kit and gauze from Cindy's nursing days. Some betadine to sterilise. The long, sharp, boning knife. Not exactly a scalpel. What does it matter now? I pull off my T-shirt and heft myself onto the granite island. A solid, pristine surface. Plenty of space to work, even with the clutter of a snarling jack-o'-lantern at each end. I take a swig of the scotch while fumbling in my pocket for a match. All we have for candles in the house are the white tea lights for the pumpkins. I light one up and hold the knife in the flame to sterilise it. didn't have gloves, but I washed up. I pour the betadine on my side. It drips down onto the granite, not doing what I want it to. So I grab a square of gauze and smear it over my skin until my flesh turns a sickly yellow-orange shade, like a rotten pumpkin. I pull up a YouTube video and watch some doctor slice into a patient. Might be a corpse, probably is. But how still and pale it is. But no, there's blood and it flows freely until it's sponged up by a faceless nurse. The only evidence of a pumping heart in that still, pale body. Watching the video on the laptop beside me, I take a permanent marker and a measuring tape, plotting out where the incision needs to be. Measure twice, cut once, as the old adage goes. My hands are a little shaky. That won't do. This guy in the video, his hands are so steady. This is clearly the right profession for him. And I take to face him down on game night. A memory trails into my brain of playing Operation with Zane and Cindy. The funny little man on the board with a glowing red nose and the buzzer sounding whenever the tool touches the edges. I take another swig. Another. Holding my hand in front of me, I will it still. Yes, that helps. Laughter bubbles up in my throat and spills out startlingly out of place in the quiet house. See that, I tell the pumpkins as their wide eyes stare at me. You doubt me, but I've got this. Nothing I can't fix. Well, maybe in my marriage, but I'm no miracle worker. My doctor prescribed me medication for the gnawing pain that pulses in my gut, a bunch of meds to treat the side effects of the chemo that didn't work, some to treat my irritation towards the healthcare system's frosty indifference, another for the existential fear of my own impending mortality, and even one to provide a regular bowel movement every other day. The meds I'm on are strong. They don't take the pain away exactly, just lift it up. The pain is still there, but it floats and I float inside of it along with everything else. And this makes it both more bearable and less, in a way that's hard to describe. 
careful not to nick any major veins. I grip the knife, take a breath, and press it into my skin. I know immediately, with the blade parting my flesh, no anaesthetic, that this pain will leak through the haze of meds and liquor. A wave of heat flares over my skin, toes to scalp, as I slice through the dotted line. The incision hurts, of course, a focused, burning pain in my side, but I'm always hurting, and this has a snap of clarity to it that's oddly refreshing. I suck air between my teeth, jaws so tight I can't loosen it without dislocating something. Setting the knife down beside me, I press my fingers into the incision, thinking I should have trimmed my nails, but I hit resistance. The cut isn't deep enough. Sweat beads on my forehead. I reach for the bottle again, fingers slick, and swallow the liquor. Down, down, down. I eye the jack-o'-lantern nearest me. How did my son manage to craft the perfect, unimpressed expression? Must be a teenage speciality, since his face usually looks like that. Don't give me that look. It's my first time. The video stops. The patient's tumour is excised. The opening is stitched up. Yay! Everyone is happy. And the sun is always shining on you if you just believe hard enough. One of the pot lights in the kitchen chooses this exact moment to crap out, leaving the room just a bit dimmer. I stare at it, but decide it doesn't matter. I hit replay. My fingers slip on the keys and it takes a few tries. Every movement pulls at the open wound like a stitch in my side, but we're not at the stitching stage yet. Here we go, take two. I pick the knife back up, following the motions on the laptop screen as best I can, though my vision is hazy from the sweat dripping into my eyes. I cut deeper, feel the blade slipping through not only my skin now, but the layer of fat beneath it, and under that the much thicker wall of muscle. It isn't easy to cut, thick like a steak, and I find myself sawing the muscle open instead of the smooth, straight motion of the doctor's scalpel as he plays out the procedure again on screen. My knife is not sharp enough. But the resistance finally gives, and I'm there, past the muscle through the barrier. It's all pain, all fire and nausea. Oh, stop, oh God, can't look. Not just yet, but I need to, I remind myself. That's why I'm here. I need to see. I can't stop, not until I see what's eating me alive from the inside. The knife clatters onto the granite at my side, falling from my stiff, trembling fingers. I groan, but it turns into a laugh and doesn't stop. I meet the eyes of a smirking pumpkin beside me. Saliva drips down my chin. I made it this far. You didn't think I would, did you? I lift the handheld mirror, only to find my hands are shaking again, slick with red, the white countertop speckled with it. Holding the mirror at an angle, I try to see inside where my neck can't crane far enough. The glass fogs as I hold it over the geezer of my own escaping body heat. Useless. I rub it. But now it's just smeared in blood. I can barely make out the orangey-red lumpy ground beef of my insides. 
Nausea crests through me, burning up the back of my throat. The room slides sideways, then back. Forget it. I know where the tumour is, exactly, precisely where. I don't need a mirror to tell me. I set it down. The cut is deep and weepy. Blood spills out, but still not as much as I'd have thought. I was careful, avoiding the major spider webs of veins and arteries. A wisp of pride snakes its way through the haze. Yeah, I can do this. I've made it this far. There's a pool of blood under me, and its loss from my body is contributing to the haze, the nausea, the chill. But it isn't insurmountable. I'm nearly there. I close my eyes now and go by touch. Slide my fingers inside. The sparks of pain light up my brain like an alarm system. Alert! Alert! But I keep pushing in until my fingers are brushing up against what I'm pretty sure are my intestines. Touching them is uncomfortable, in a way, but my insides don't hurt. Only the deep incision on my side and each movement against it. Minutes go by as I try to sift past my intestines. They're taking up too much space. I have to take them out, I realise. I need the space to work. I grab a fistful of the slippery ropes and tug, groaning as my wrist breaches the open wound again. Everything inside me is soft, pink, hot. Once I have several inches of thick cord out, I understand I must remove all of it to fit my hand back in. But I don't have anywhere to put it. Visions of intestines spilling onto the kitchen floor trigger another whirl of nausea, though perhaps holding my own guts in my hand is the real trigger. I reach with my clean hand and slide one of the jack-o'-lanterns over, pop its top off and slop the intestines inside. They spill quickly now, puddling into the pumpkin, pushing out through the wide eyes and its horrified frown. I find myself chuckling at the macabre image, my head lolling towards my chest as my vision blackens at the edges, and another pot light flickers out. I shake it off. I'm shivering. Can't get it under control. I'm breathing hard, light-headed. This is crazy. I have to stop. I've taken myself apart now. If I can't put myself back together again, this is how my son will find me, unpacked and cold on the kitchen island on Halloween morning, bloody knife in hand. Everything in me screams to end this, to call for help, to take it all back. But that nagging little voice isn't so little anymore. The gnawing thought that needs to see needs me to see what's killing us. I'm so close now, so close. Sliding my hand back into the cavern of my body, it doesn't hurt like it did, but the pain isn't floating anymore either. It's transformed into something else, unspooled like my intestines opening up. My fingers search my upper abdomen, and there I feel the shape I'm looking for, a long, flat leech, the pancreas. I run my fingertips over its squishy surface, memorising it, until I touch something hard. I jerk back with a yeep, folding in on myself, lifting my bloody finger to my face. I see the cut there, fresh blood welling up. Something bit me. Rage. 
that's what was under the pain, unspooling, opening up. It's all I feel now, deep, total rage that leaves me spinning out. I haven't felt anything about anything in so long. Maybe I am angry. Maybe it's all right here in me. This empty house I worked so hard on for nothing. Everyone tried to help. Anytime, anything you need, we're always here. And somehow being no help at all. Paul and Bev's perfect happy family with their perfect happy smiles and Paul's perfectly operable heart condition. How can I hate a best friend for that? Cindy abandoning our fucking family like we were nothing. Zane acting out in school, getting in trouble, while I'm here trying to hold it all together for him and he doesn't even seem to see that. And how could I be mad because he's just a stupid goddamn kid? And a few months from now, he'll have nothing and no one and I'll be leaving him just like his mother. And worst of all, this goddamn mess and me, the fixer of messes. And I can't seem to fix anything, not even myself. Spinning, breathing hard, I shove my hand back in, one hand fumbling inside, the other holding a shaking mirror. I get a good grip on the organ and tug. Surprised when I find it loosens, gives. I pull my pancreas out, and this shouldn't be possible. But here it is, in my hand, dripping and limp. In the dim kitchen lights, I see that it's moving just slightly, pulsing in my hand, as though it has a beating heart inside of the thick, meaty tumour that my doctor loves to compare to a golf ball. I flip it over to see the tumour more clearly, vomit filling my mouth at the sight. I swallow hard, and here it is, finally. I can see the thing that's consuming my life. My eyes widen, my mouth falls open. Around me the jack-o'-lanterns match my expression. It is moving. There, in the tumour's folds, is something else. Tiny, snapping teeth. My shock gives way to that burning fury that this small, insignificant thing has been sinking its teeth into me day after day, sucking the life out of me. You think you can eat me? Me, I growl. Inoperable? I laugh, and the pumpkins echo my laughter, a sardonic resonance. I'll show you, you bastard, you fucker, and do it my damn self. I bite into it. Don't people always say the pancreas is the most nutritious organ? Its small, feebly snapping teeth crunch beneath my teeth, its flesh giving way as I tear into it, swallowing it down, 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 until there's nothing left but my own blood on my hands. And I'll show you, I'll show you, I'll fucking show you. With the last bite, the rage gripping me releases its hold at last. The jack-o'-lanterns whisper praise as I lie back against the cold granite and the kitchen lights burn out one by one. That was Tasia Morgan's Eat Your Rage, as read by Alex Winley. 
Alex Winley lives in a cottage just outside Cambridge, where he writes science fiction and narrates stories. His new fridge is bigger than the cottage itself, like a TARDIS, but containing far more calories. Thank you, Alex. Well, children of the night, the hour is late, and we've run out of tales to tell. For now. Tales to Terrify is made possible by the tremendous generosity of our supporters on Patreon and PayPal. Incredible fans like Kathy Robinson and Amanda Gottfried, whose generous support helps keep the lights on and flickering ominously. Not a supporter already? Head over to patreon.com slash tales to terrify, where you'll find all kinds of perks like ad-free and extended episodes, bonus content, and one-of-a-kind collectibles and merch packs. Every dollar goes back into this show to make it as horrific as possible, and we appreciate it so much. Want another way to support the show that doesn't cost a cent? Head over to Stitcher, Podchaser, or Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. You'll not only put an unnaturally wide smile on our faces, but help new listeners discover our terrifying tales, too. Now you can share your love of the show out in the world with some Tales to Terrify merch. TalesToTerrify.com slash merch will take you to our Tee Public store, where we've got a great collection of creepy custom and curated designs that's always growing so check back often. Tales to Terrify is produced by Seth Williams, Meredith Morgenstern, Andrew Gibson, and myself, Drew Sebastini, with original theme by Nebulous Entertainment. Tales to Terrify is distributed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Join us again next week as we creak open the cellar door for more Tales to Terrify. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com.